Christchurch, New Malden, 17th of July 2022, 11 o'clock service. Tim Davis speaking in the series, God's Big Plan, Why Was Israel Chosen by God? Um, have you ever been desperate to be chosen for something? Um, it's usually when we're kind of younger, isn't it? You know, you're desperate for that leading role in the school play. Uh, or maybe sort of later on in life, you're desperate to be given the solo at the Christchurch carol service. Maybe just me. Uh, when I was really young, I remember that all I really wanted to be, you know, when I was like three, four years old, was chosen to be the milk monitor each day at the Acacia Grove playgroup. Uh, I don't know why I really wanted that. That was my aspiration, age three. Uh, it just seemed like, you know, if you were chosen to be the milk monitor, you were clearly favoured by the staff. Uh, and I always wanted to, you know, be seen as special and important. Um, later on, when I got to secondary school, um, particularly around sort of third, fourth, fifth year, I'd always go and check the notice boards uh, every Thursday or Friday lunchtime to see if I'd been picked to play in the school football team um, for my year uh, at that coming weekend. Uh, looking a bit like that list there, you know, would I make the first team? Would I make the second team? Uh, and every week it was the same disappointment as I'd never see my name there. You know, it didn't matter how well I'd been playing in the training session, the game session earlier on in the week. I just would rarely ever get picked. Uh, turned out that actually the selection criteria uh, from the teacher who was in charge of the football teams for my year uh, it was basically consisted of whoever happened to be in his Spanish class on a Thursday morning and fancied a game at the weekend. Stupidly, I'd chosen to do German, which is why I never got to play football. Clearly, I don't hold a grudge anymore, as you can tell. Uh, but I have to say, I wonder um, if I would have actually really enjoyed it if I was chosen to be milk monitor every day or played football every Saturday morning, you know, the attraction of being milk monitor might have started to wane if you do it every single day. You might have started to even get resented by your um, fellow playgroup members um, who might have teased you. you know, this exalted status of mind suddenly becoming more like a burden or a curse. Um, and whilst I you know, hardly ever got to play football every week for the team, I did get picked for the cricket team in the summer term every week. Um, I have to say, there was certainly, when you, particularly when you get a bit of an older teenager, certainly some Saturdays when you go, I don't want to be playing cricket for the next five hours. I want to be out with my friends in the sunshine. Um, so I do wonder, is being chosen really all that great, all that special? with all the requirements and responsibilities that come with it. Throughout the Bible, the Israelites are referred to as God's chosen people. What was so special about them? That's what we're going to think on today. Why did God choose them over all other nations? Are they still favoured over all other people today? And what does it mean how does it all fit into this question we're looking at, this idea of God's big plan? Uh, well, the first thing I think to understand is this. Originally, God did not choose a nation. He chose one man. So often, when you think of Israel, you think in terms of a nation of people, as it, as it is today. That's not what Israel always was. When you read the book of Genesis, you notice there's no mention of the nation of Israel. And that's because it just didn't exist then. The beginning of God's promise to this nation did not start when it became a nation. It started from one man, Abraham. 
The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's the promise God made to Abram. Abram was a good, faithful, obedient servant of God. And as a reward for his faithfulness, God promised to make his ancestors into a great nation. God did not choose a nation initially. He chose a man and built a nation upon it. God didn't just randomly choose Israel either. He made Israel into a great nation. And God's doing of this was to fulfill the promise he made to Abraham. There was no nation of people at this stage, no land to call their own. God even told Abraham to go from his land to somewhere else. He was a man with no home to call his own anymore. There were no 12 tribes of Israel, no leader of the people, as it were. Just a promise to one man that one day his descendants would be a great nation, a chosen people. Uh, now, of course, if you know your Bible, um, within a few generations after Abraham, things were looking pretty bleak for the group of people now known as the Israelites. Having thrived in Egypt, they were soon subjugated and forced into slavery until a new leader, Moses, arrived on the scene. God rescued his people, brought them out of Egypt, and led them through the desert to Mount Sinai. And here, in the reading we first heard, God reestablishes his covenant with the people, keeping his promise to Abraham, and he affirms that they are a chosen people. God says, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. In the very next sentence, God reveals why he has chosen Israel. He says, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And it's here that I think we get a sense of the purpose that God has in choosing Israel to be this special people. They are to be a kingdom of priests, a, a holy nation. Now, the priests in the time of ancient Israel were the people who acted as the mediators, the go-between between between God and the people. And so God is calling the Israelites to undertake that same role with all of the people, all of the nations around them. But above all, they were instructed to keep God's commands and truly be a people chosen by God. We see this emphasized later on in the passage that we also had read from Deuteronomy chapter 7. God says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand 
and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. God blessed Israel because of the faith and obedience of Abraham. But it made it clear that it wasn't because the Israelites themselves were especially righteous. And yet there was still something clearly special about them. And there was this standard to which God called them to aspire to. And the rest of Deuteronomy chapter 7 that we heard shows what high standards the Lord sets for the Israelites. But it's also, I think, a pretty tough read because it instructs the Israelites to effectively destroy the nations around them. How are we to understand, to reconcile the idea of Israel, of being a chosen people, a holy people that would serve an ex as an example to everyone if they are being told not just to keep themselves separate from the other nations surrounding them, but to actively destroy them culturally, socially, religiously. The problem that Israel had was that the people didn't keep their side of the covenant. The Lord promised to bless them and their descendants, to make them a great and treasured nation, if, if they would keep his covenant, his commandments. And in the very next chapter, he explains to them exactly what they are. And it begins with these two famous commandments. One, you shall have no other gods before me. Two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Israel was meant to faithfully represent God by how they live as a community of love, of justice, and of worship of God alone. That is what the law was all about. But despite everything that the Lord had done for them, the Israelites were still constantly going away from God, being easily seduced by the cultures and religions of the nations around them. Now, I'm not going to spend time examining this in detail, Stephen's going to be speaking about Israel's sin next week. But being chosen made them special. But it also brought requirements and responsibility. Being the chosen people means you are chosen to do something in the world. And the Israelites, it's fair to say, were pretty useless at doing what was required of them by the Lord. Thankfully, the Lord is not only a faithful and just God, but also a loving God. And whilst it would have been easy to give up on these troublesome Israelite people who seemed incapable of following these simple commandments, despite the blessings promised them if they did keep those commandments, God still remained faithful to them and to the promise he'd made to Abraham. And God knew that in order to preserve the faith of his holy people, 
then any distractions and threats to their faith had to be removed. And this meant destroying the symbols and idols of religion held by the neighboring nations. Israel was to serve as a witness and an example to others and bring God to them or bring them to God, not vice versa, that they were brought to the other religions. So it was crucial that when they were initially settling in a land that was promised to them, that their identity as this chosen people of God wasn't diluted or changed by external influences around them. This didn't mean, however, that they wouldn't and couldn't ultimately mix and engage with people from other nations, but it would be as God intended, with Israel bringing others to the Lord, the foreigner becoming a part of the Jewish group of people, just as Rahab the prostitute did after helping the Israelite spies escape from Jericho, and just as Ruth did by leaving her land to be with her Jewish mother-in-law when she was widowed and ultimately ends up marrying Boaz. And the reason I've chosen those two particular people as examples out of so many is because it brings us to our final question of how Israel, being chosen as a people, was part of God's big plan. God chose Israel as he was fulfilling a promise to Abraham. And he wanted them to serve as a model nation so that all nations might be brought to him. Israel was not chosen to be the only nation to be saved. It was chosen for a purpose. They are called to display who God is to all the nations so that all would come to know and worship the one true God. Salvation to the nations, all nations, was not God's plan B. It was God's mission all along. The final point to answer the question of why did God choose Israel, and without a doubt for me the most important purpose for the nation of Israel, is that God was setting up a lineage from which Jesus would come through. Both Rahab and Ruth are named in the New Testament Gospels as ancestors of Jesus. And this really is the crux of why God chose Israel to be his chosen people. The coming of Jesus fulfilled a major promise that God had made to Abraham all those years before, that everyone on this planet who was living, who will live, or who had ever lived, can benefit from. The prophet Isaiah um, spoke about this numerous times. And I just want to read a couple of um, verses here from Isaiah. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And then later on. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and gather Israel to himself. For I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. 
And again, I'm not going to go really much further on that because Ruth will be speaking on this in a couple of weeks' time. But this feels like the real culmination of why Israel was chosen by God. This was the nation that God delivered out of slavery, the nation to whom God gave the land of Canaan, and the nation through whom Jesus would come, the Messiah. God didn't just choose Israel. He chose all of us. God didn't just choose Abraham. He chose all of us. It's the exact opposite of God simply favoring one group to the exclusion of all others. Instead, God works out his plan to extend his love to all the world through that one group, that one nation, that one individual. In a story in the New Testament that I'm sure Ruth may well refer to in her talk, we see this instance where Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman, someone who is not of the chosen nation of Israel. Jesus invites her, an outsider, into a conversation and reveals to her that he is the Messiah that she and her people have been waiting for. This woman, in turn, then goes on to invite many others into the story of Jesus and God's salvation. God's big plan, of which you and I are very much a part, stretches all the way back through the New, through the New Testament, through the Old Testament. The blessings promised to Abraham are blessings that are bestowed on you and I. We are a holy people, chosen by God. The New Testament, the New Testament contains numerous blessings on the people. I think we should feel just as counted in those blessings as the Israelites did. And so I'm going to end with a bit of a contemporary take on a famous blessing. The words given to the priests when they were instructed how to bless the chosen people. The Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. For he is with you. He is with you. In the morning, in the evening, in your coming and your going, in your weeping, in, in your rejoicing, he is for you. He is for you. Amen.